a look back at the PS4 and Xbox One generation. All the experiences we liked and didn't like. Well, hello there. <laughs> Welcome to Triangle Squared. I'm pretty sure our intro just broke, but, um, you know, that's life and we roll with it. So, welcome, as always, to Triangle Squared, a PlayStation podcast. I'm your host, Mr. Brett, back and alongside me, as he mostly always is. I will never let him live down that one episode. One but, episode. Mr. Saul Bridges, how are you? Good, good. Uh, episode 188, Lucky 8188. Um, you know that what? This week has been really weird for me. Um, we'll get into that here in a second, but... If you already like this banter and broken intros, you can find us. <laughs> you can find out more about us and where we come from and when we let stuff launch at the end of the episode. But we're going to start it off like we normally do, and that's what we've been playing this week. And like I said, for me, it's weird. I turned my PlayStation 4 off on Sunday, last Sunday, that same night that yes. we recorded. Yeah. And I, was, I played Risk of Rain, and I'd never turned it back on since. I haven't turned on my PlayStation at all this week. Um, this week is going to be the wildest week in, in, in probably this show's history of what I've been doing. And that is I am in a competition with a buddy at work and we are soft resetting soul silver <laughs> to get a shiny starter. And I have now soft reset that game over 3000 times and neither of us have gotten a shiny starter. Um, are you sure that in the game you're doing, cause isn't there a game out there that they took that out of? No. Soul silver is actually the best one to do it in because you could all every Pokemon game from the game boy Vance to now has a soft reset button combination and in yeah. silver it's left right select start and it yep. just takes you back well i did a save in front of the pokeballs and then all you have to do is um look at them in this game whereas in the other games you actually have to get them in your inventory then look at them you can look at them then from the pokeball view and see if they're shiny or not so that it takes like literally the whole process of looking for one is less than 30 seconds like it boots up you, you continue you look at the pokeballs and if it's not you soft reset and my laptop is being weird. And um, I've been doing that. But then, like all Destiny expansions, I started playing Destiny again. Oh, yeah. And you uh, play on PC, right? Yes. I've been playing only on PC. I ordered a 15-foot HDMI 2.1 cable off of Amazon to uh, hook my TV up so I could play uh, Destiny 2 at 4K at 60. And I can. And I have been. Um, I've been playing with my Xbox controller just because I don't have the adapter for the PlayStation 4 controller to work. Um and I forgot why I stopped using my Astros. My Astro controller's broken. What adapter do you have to have? I don't have Bluetooth on my motherboard. So you, don't, I, you don't have to have Bluetooth? Oh, you just mean wirelessly? Yes. Okay. Um, and since <clears> I, throat> actually, throat> I actually have the Xbox wireless controller adapter for the PC, I've actually been using that. So I've been actually... Um, I always describe my Destiny relationship as abusive because I, I think I've realized why. And that is that every time a Destiny content comes out, big or small, everybody that I play Destiny with comes back to Destiny for at least two or three months until we're all bored of that content and we all go on our separate ways again. And I think I really enjoy that feeling of when Destiny content's out because I know Joe will be online consistently, Vernon will be online consistently, DZ will be online consistently, Trevor will be online. All of the people I play Destiny with normally will be online consistently. And... um it's kind of weird now. It's bittersweet because all of us have made the full transition to PC oh, for, for Destiny cool. 2. I didn't know that. Um, so, like, Gavin and Eric, um, they're still on PlayStation 4, I'm guessing. And Joe is the one that's hard-pressed about not coming back to console. He's actually, like, the most surprising of them all. He's like, I'm going to not... He's like, I'm not going to play on PS5. 
I'm just going to play it on PC. Well, as long as crossplay comes as they're talking, That's, it should be a problem. Though, at the same token, if I'm just being honest, I was about to ask you, do you see yourself going back to console for PS5 just because of ease of use and because it's where you're already be playing other stuff just because it will be 4K 60 frames per second? Um, well, ease of use is weird um, because, for me, it is easy. There's only one con- There's only one inconvenience for me, and I, and I think <laughs> I have the solution for it. So... I am using the... I have a dual monitor set up normally. I have one HDMI cable going from my TV into my graphics card, and then I have a monitor that I have going from my um, monitor to my graphics card. The other monitor is off because it's not plugged in. I'm curious... Oh, yeah, right now. Yes. And if I want to, say, have my dual screens back or something, or if I want to play PS4, because I'm actually using the PS4 slot, uh, HDMI slot... um, and I plugged into the other slot that I had my Xbox plugged into. But it is kind of annoying to have to unplug my TV from my graphics card and then plug in the other monitor to that slot again because the way it worked out is that I just have an extra HDMI cable unplugged. Well, that's that's kind of annoying to have to go back there and unplug it and plug it back in if I want to go back to dual monitors and then play something like uh, on my TV. I think I can solve that problem with an HDMI splitter. Probably. I think all I need to do at that point is plug my HDMI splitter into the one that has my TV on it and then plug my TV into the HDMI splitter. And then I think that will solve my problem because I'll flip it and it could go back to the dual monitor setup or it would go back to my TV setup. I, yeah. I, I need to figure that out. That sounds um, accurate. It's funny I, that you mentioned that. That's very similar to why I don't play PSVR often because I have the original unit that has its own HDR. HDMI. The HDR pass through is not there, so for me to get HDR on my TV, which I absolutely want, yeah, I have to swap cables around, and it's a pain. It's a nuisance, and that's yeah. why I'll get home and I'll be like, "Do I really want to do that to play?" And sometimes it's just I just want to sit here and play. I don't even want to bother that, so yeah. I just don't. Even though, like I told you, I've had a big strong urge to want to go back and play Astrobot Rescue. So now I'll probably suffer through it for a little bit. Well, speaking of Astrobot, you played. You have a PS5. So what have you been playing this week? A bunch, by nature of, of doing that. Uh, I was playing Batman as I was saying it was going to be my final game, like, and it kind of transitioned to PS5. I originally was not going to do that, but I wanted to see from an experience I was still in what the load time difference was like between PS4 and PS5, and it's massive. Yeah. So I just moved my external hard drive over and kept playing immediately. Well, I moved my external hard drive over and then transferred the game from the external drive to the SSD, which takes a little longer than I wanted. So it kind of comes back to the question for me personally, but I know really the answer of, for my situation, why would I want to use an external hard drive as cold storage for PS5? It takes so long to transfer the games. You realistically, with the download speeds I'm getting on PS5, it'd be quicker to just download the game again straight to the SSD. Yeah, and honestly, for me, that's not that's a non-issue because all my stuff's digital. Yeah, so like I could just. But I think for a lot of people, the good idea is that if you want to go download a bunch of stuff and you live without internet, the people who are going to benefit the most from that is people who want that and can download every game to their HDD, have it in cold storage, and then transfer it between the two as they want to play them without having to go somewhere and re-download them. Because if you don't have yeah. internet, that becomes, or if your internet's so slow that you'd be spending a day downloading the game when you could just spend 30 how, minutes transferring it, depending on the size of the game, of course. How long did it take? 
I think Batman took like 15 minutes, 10 minutes maybe. I don't know. It's honestly, it just felt long because you can't, it could be that it felt longer because I'm wanting to play PS5 and just looking at a menu that says transferring is not that riveting. So it could have had a little bit of that, but I'd say at least seven to 10 minutes is what it felt like. Hmm. That's not Could bad. have been five. And again, it's not terrible. So yeah, if you want cold storage because you have poor internet and you just want to go to a buddy's house and download six games real quick and then have them on cold storage, all the power to you if they bring that feature, which sounds like they're going to. Um, Sony's being pretty receptive right now to the idea of, or even if it's things within Sony's ownership. Uh, Insomniac recently mentioned that in an upcoming update for Spider-Man Remastered, you will be able to bring forward your PS4 save file, which originally was not the case. So, yeah, hey, that's cool. But for me, besides Batman, I did finally get the Platinum in it, and I did not think I was going to be able to. The trophy is Brutality 101, and if you don't remember it by name and you played the game, and you mess with trophies, you probably remember this. You have to do 15 combat moves sequentially in one free flow combo. You can't break combo and that to be 15 different moves. So you can't just punch 15 different times. So if for anybody who may be having problems on that, I figured a pretty interesting thing out away from it. It was a YouTuber. I wish I could remember his name. Maybe it was get good. G I T G U D. I think, but he mentioned that you can go to the combat AR challenges and there's one that's got Batman and uh, Nightwing. It's called Gotham Knights. And when you go into it, the way the game actually counts stuff, the gadgets, which are part of, can be part of the 15, do not have to be in a single combo. So what you can actually do as soon as you start is you can do the grapple slam, you can do the quick uh, explosive gel, quick freeze, you can do the quick uh, batarang, combo batarang rather, by getting a five combo and then hitting it. Then, excuse me, you can switch to Nightwing, do his two unique gadgets, and that puts you at seven. Then you only have to do eight consecutive moves in a combo, which is still not easy, but essentially what you want to do is just jump around, continuing to do the redirect thing that keeps your combo going and lets you kind of move people where you want them. Then you can just do eight consecutive moves. And that's how I got that platinum. So good luck. Sounds ridiculous. <laughs> it was a little much. Honestly, to me, it was worse than the Riddler trophies, which I heard that's the worst part too. are a pain. So uh, they're, they're fun in a way, but it's just, there's so many of them. But from there I moved on to Astrobot's playroom first day. And even though I had Spider-Man, I just wanted to try it out. And then I ended up falling in love with that game. Played it until I platinumed it. Didn't go to bed until I platinumed it. Took the next day off from work because... I was wondering, like, <laughs> I felt like there was, a, there was a day you weren't there. I woke up Friday morning and I was just like, nah, I just texted my boss and said, can I get the day off? Can I just use a vacation day? And she said, yeah. So, um, did that. Played Spider-Man. Am decently far into Spider-Man. It cra- I played Godfall. Then I played Spider-Man. Played about an hour or two of Godfall. Played about probably six hours of Spider-Man. And I've played about probably three to four hours of Demon Souls now. So I've gotten a good spread. Not normally how I play games. But Spider-Man crashed on me. And Demon Souls was just looking at me. And I kind of had that thing of like, well, if Spider-Man doesn't want to let me play it, I'll play something else. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I think one of the bad things about Spider-Man for me personally is that I came. I should have known. I came from Batman to Spider-Man, a very similar game. It's right. part of the reason I was so on the thing of I've got to get this platinum before I start Spider-Man because they're just similar enough that if I play Spider-Man and then try and go back and get this trophy, it will not work because the, they're similar in play style, but the buttons are all different. So it was killing me. 
But Spider-Man also crashed on me twice and pretty, uh, the first one strong fashion completely turned the system off and I had to wait a while for the system to actually want to boot back up. The second one, it just went directly to home screen and said that there was an error. So also you may have seen where I mentioned that I thought my disk drive was not working, but for some reason they wanted me to face the disk and what to me and to many others who apparently had the same issue would consider the most unnatural, like unnatural way to put the disc in. So I wonder if that's a design choice because essentially those are removable disc drives to make the digital only version. And I wonder if they just have a disc drive, like that's like the pod and like they just slap it in the system. I don't know. And I think, shell. I, I think what got me is that PlayStation is not typically one to have their disc drive on the bottom left. So typically if you have your system up, you have your slot on the top Essentially, <laughs> I don't know. It was weird. All of my PlayStations have always been stood vertically. It just didn't feel right. It's not the way that I enter that I insert games into my PS4 Pro. So that's probably what it is. A little bit of a hangover from that. But yeah, uh, Saul got to play a little bit of Astros just to kind of get a feel for it, and he ran around for like a minute in Demon Souls just to kind of get a quick feel for how it looked in performance mode. That's what I cared about. Yeah, yeah. That so and the controller demo. Yep. I plan to play more, uh, but I don't want to over-stimulate myself, so I'm probably going to finish Spider-Man, then go back into Demon's Souls, play a little more Godfall, and maybe Snacks afterwards. But two Platinums in two days in a row is pretty cool. That felt good. Is the patch for Destiny out on PS5 yet? I don't think so. Nor, oh. nor is Warframes, and I did download Warframe again and then because I was like, I'm going to play it personally. Uh, I want to say it comes... Sometime in December for Destiny. I might come back to it if Warframe doesn't hold my attention, but I don't know. I'm much more excited about Warframe than Destiny if I'm just being, like, right now, personally honest. I have no interest in Destiny right now. I will say the Beyond Light expansion, they just came out this week. Mm -hmm. The the Darkness subclasses are super fun, Mm -hmm. and the story was pretty well done, if not a little repetitive in some parts. Yeah. But for you who's never done Shadowkeep... To come back and play Shadowkeep and Beyond Light, that'd be worth it. I'm not saying it wouldn't, but we'll get into it in a little bit because in the community's uh, feedback for the main topic, uh, some people bring up Destiny as something that they loved out of the generation, and there's some complaints about the way that Destiny has moved. So I think I'll probably address it a little bit more then because okay. I think it's interesting, and I do feel like it somewhat ties into the way I feel about the game. But uh, for now, we're going to head into the – well, actually, before we head into the community's take, we want to uh, – Offer you some condolences. If you were unable to get a PS5, first of all, sorry. Trust me, the fact that one of us has it and one of us does it is already interesting enough. Speaking of which, you said it'd be like a week in December that I'd have it, or two weeks. Yeah, they said it'd be like mid-December by the time that my Burger King one comes in. That's fine. That might get here right around the time I take my vacation anyways. So hopefully that'll work out. So first and foremost, good luck getting a PS5. Just want to get that out of the way, nice and cleanly. Secondarily, though. You know what else is clean? You know what else is clean? My balls. <laughs> and uh, fresh and scented. So if you want to go in the next gen of something, at least you can move into the next gen with your downstairs grooming with the nice lawnmower 3.0 from Manscaped, our sponsor for this episode. Thank you, Manscaped. Uh, Thank honestly, you. I got to tell you, blown away. I have debated often buying Manscaped just because of different ads I've seen and looking at it anyway and kind of thinking to myself, I don't trim as often as I should because it's a pain. 
You're not so lying. when I had that kind of thought, and then this came up, I was like, you know, let's get the product in, let's try it out, and know that we're like, we're promoting something great. And I feel confident in saying, fantastic product. So for, all the way across the board for me, it's like the opposite. So I don't have an I don't really have services that I have ads on at all. Like I pay for YouTube. I don't really watch Hulu. Um, I have Amazon Prime, and that's kind of it. Like Netflix, but like I don't really have a lot of ads that I pay attention to. So whenever I was telling somebody we got sponsored by Manscaped, they were like. No way. Like I see those commercials on TV. I was like, wow, that's, I didn't realize this company is that big. So naturally you need more ads in your lifestyle. I guess I do. <laughs> uh, reprogramming programming, but, uh, naturally I needed to go test this myself. So I am that kind of person that like, if we ever get a sponsor, I've said before, it's going to be completely honest opinions. So what I did was I went and bought their cologne and I chose the cologne because at that point I didn't know what all we were going to get. Um, and my reasoning behind that was that, Hey, if the clone smells good and it doesn't break me out, which is important, then I'll have two bottles of cologne. If they send us one, um, I have super sensitive skin and I have a cologne at home that I love. It is slightly expensive, but it breaks me out every time I use it. And, uh, it doesn't matter if I put on my wrist, my neck, my chest, I, I will break out in those spots really badly. So I bought their cologne. Love it. I meant to bring the bottle with me today, but I let Brent take a smell of me. He loved the smell of it. And another thing I like about this company, all their products smell the same. They have the same scent profile. So in their ball toner, you could put this on your balls to freshen them up a little bit (laughs) and make them nice and clean and confident. But you could also use the preserver, which is the deodorant. Now, this I actually use for work. And I thought I'd take this for a test drive because I use body... um, body powder i use the um i can't think of the brand name but the gold bond gold bond yeah. yeah i use the green gold bond tube and that works fairly well for like anti-chafing and stuff like that um but it's a mess you know who wants to clean up a mess of powder off the bathroom floor in the morning Absolutely. and you're getting ready and it's 5 15 that's the part um, i don't miss about that job yes chafing it, uh, it sucked yeah and i'll tell you right now thanks to this this body odor not only is the smell gone but there's no chafing and i was actually surprised to see that they gave us the boxers um, dude, the, the boxers, the most soft thing I've ever known. And my wife so told me again today, which the first day she was like, Whoa, I think that that's the softest thing I've ever felt. So fun fact, my wife said the same thing whenever <laughs> she was taking out my wife, my, my boxers and my shirt. That's why I'm not wearing the shirt today because she stole it. Dilla, I'm telling you, you I, I, those, they're both so soft and I always looked at a, like any kind of luxury underwear. And I'm like, eh, there's no difference. There's a difference. And I'm going to buy, I'm going to buy another pair um, probably um, in the next like week or so because I loved it. Um, well, I think the last thing we need to talk about, I, I don't think if Saul, I don't know if Saul's had a chance to utilize his, but the, the lawnmower 3.0 is definitely their big thing oh, right have. now. And I got to tell you, it's worth it. Fantastic. Going to go into a quick story that I just think is hilarious because it's part of growing up and getting into that age where you are worried about shaving your face. I got a beard pretty early on, so I was thinking about having to shave, and then I'm a naturally hairy person, so I was like, is that something that's controllable, or do I just want to let it go? So, of course, in my youth, I ended up shaving completely, and that was the worst decision I've ever made. Do not use a blade unless you are willing to do that day in, day out. Everything stuck to me, and I hated it. It felt like yeah. I was like a like Velcro. Uh, so I'm normally pretty worried about that. This I was able to get pretty low where it looks great, looks manageable. It's comfortable. No snags, no nothing. All the way around, 360. I'm clean as a whistle down there. If I Botox them, you'd think I was a baby. <laughs> yeah, if you use a, if you use a uh, if you use a razor blade, you're first of all you're very brave. Second of all, I hope you like the feeling of wet rubber bands because that's what it feels like. 
Certainly. For those that want some cool Christmas presents, some your balls cool will gifts, thank you. Your balls will thank you. They but will. If, if so, if you want some cool Christmas gifts, if you want to give your dad something clever and funny, and it <laughs> yeah. works well, if you if you're at work and you and you notice a little bit of extra moisture, and you want something for yourself, or if your husband complains about it, go to manscaped.com and use discount code SQRD squared. SQRD. You're going to get 20% off your entire order and you're going to get the free shipping. Yep. So it's just a cool little gift and you can help us support this channel and get some products that we actually enjoy. Yeah. And I'm glad that we do because I would have thought it would be really awkward to tell Manscaped yeah. their products sucked. No, absolutely. Because I would have because I, I, you, you see how I go in on Sony. Yeah, I know. I'm going to go in on our advertiser that hey, way. Hey, stop camping behind the Christmas tree and up your grooming game. There you go. There we go. You know what, though? End of the community stake, which came by Mr. Sean One Neo. So thank you, Sean. Appreciate you. Hadn't heard from you in a little bit, and you came back in with a really great question, and I was curious to see everybody's answers. So his question was simple. Who or what, if it's not a person, is the most useful AI companion in a video game? So over on Facebook, which I'm going to start on since Saul does not have access to nope. that. Excuse me. Man, that pomegranate uh, dragon fruit sparkling water is good, but... Not as good as ball toner. But not as good as ball toner, as you would expect. All right, let's see. In that one, also real quick while I'm thinking about Facebook, one of our listeners, Mr. Matt Hunt, is apparently uh, in the hospital right now battling both COVID and pneumonia. So, oh, wow. Uh, everybody keep prayers out and thoughts out for him, depending on what you believe. But just good vibes to the man. Keep that man in your thoughts for sure. Yeah. That's he's rough. A good friend. I played a lot of games with him. Cool guy. Hate to hear that from him. So, Matt, if you hear this, I hope you're doing better and feeling better, man. That's just. Ugh. I hope you recover with no long-lasting effects either, because that's a big thing that I yeah, don't want. Certainly. Anybody. All right, over there, Mr. Blake Pope says, "Oh man, that's a tough one. Cortana is probably my favorite." Now I want to preface something here. He originally thought we were talking about specifically AI within a video game, so he went on to go a little bit further, and uh, I wanted to give his other ones. This just made me laugh. He says, Dom from Gears is great, but mostly because of his backstory than anything else. I also love Sully and Uncharted, but I don't know if that counts. Lydia is always my go-to in Skyrim. A lot of people mention Lydia. I can't stand Lydia. What did Lydia ever do to you? Stand in my doorways <laughs> and not move. Dude, I'm telling you. How many I, people have shouted her because of that? Oh, I, I can tell you right now, me alone, probably a hundred times. Um, she was super annoying to deal with. So I, was, I think I used her on my second playthrough of the game, and I never used her since. Um, actually, as a good counter argument to that, um, oh, I just had her name on my brain. Um, the vampire lady. Oh, from Skyrim? Yeah, well, the uh, it's the one that you were, like, the one that is part of Dawnguard. Not Selena. Oh, or is it Selena? Hold on, I've never played either of the expansions for that game. Uh, I or, think, it, or any of the three, I should say. There's two that are story, and one that's just is it Hearthstone. Selena? It might be Serana. Serana mm. is like the best when it comes to um, NPCs. That's actually my answer, or one of my answers. We'll get into the other answer in a little bit. But sure, yeah, Serana. I think one of the ones I liked, and I'm pretty sure someone mentioned it over in the Discord. It was that feeling, yeah. Awesome Dave one three three seven said, "I would say Lydia from Skyrim since she taught me the importance of permadeath in Skyrim and how much fun it is to shout people slash enemies off of mountaintops." Seriously though, I would say the companions in Skyrim for the ability to also carry crap for you like a pack animal, which is one hundred percent what I did with both dog meat and Fallout Four. 
and also the whole point of Lydia. Like, it was cool that they would help you, but primarily, I just wanted them to hold my items when I didn't want to go back to town just yet. So after, like, my second <clears> or <throat> my first playthrough of Skyrim, it's always been, like, like role plays. So I would never pick up items I don't need. <laughs> I don't ever pick up items I don't need, nor will I. I actually set, like, a, I can't hold more than 10 potions. I should be able to carry 12. It's the same problem I have in Souls games. Where I'm like, I need everything. Yeah. Because I don't want to get to a situation. I have this in every game. I had it in Kingdoms of Amalur. I will get something and I'll eventually delete it once I level out of it. Just in case I want to try it. I'm like, well, now that I'm four levels above it, it's probably not going to be very good. So I'm just going to go ahead and scrap it or sell it now. And you just reminded <clears> me that Equipload being that thing in Demon Souls too. Yeah. Yeah, which is very different from level, total weight. You need to level up something. I can't. Well, that's the only game with total weight in it. Like you don't get you, you can pick up any weapon in the game and carry it along with you in the rest of the game. That's right. Without it, but yeah, yeah. You, there's a stat you need to level up. Endurance is the one that handles all that. Yeah, you can up how much you can actually equip. This man's over here playing Demon Souls with fat rolling. By the way, I jo- don't get Josh, why get that's him. a problem. Josh, get him. I would say most people play Demon Souls with a fat roll. Hold on, back up. First time. A lot of people end up choosing more common classes, definitely if they're new to it. I don't think I played with a fast roll. I think I found, I think I figured out like I would just go like naked. Okay, I should say I naturally do that anyway. That's just what I do. But people who are newer to Souls like games tend to stick with classes that are more of what they'd expect. And a lot of the classes in Souls games that are different, like thieves and mages and stuff like that, are a little more, they take more to get to grips with. So a lot of people have a hard time choosing those immediately because they get punished a little too much. Like Demon Souls, magic is OP, but not at the beginning. If you actually choose magic at the beginning of Demon Souls, you're putting yourself at quite a disadvantage in comparison to pretty much any other class. I can't remember how I ever played magic <clears throat> in Demon Souls, but I do remember hearing it was OP. But if you wait, about probably a third of the way through the game, it just starts being crazy, and you can do so I much stuff. With I think it. I'm gonna do. I think I'm gonna do that my first yeah. playthrough because so, I always did the axe. Sure. Which also, I guess that technically counts, right? All of the phantom spirits in those games. That's a, that's the weirdest form of an AI partner, but those are pretty. Solaire. That was my. That's my other one. Speaking of demon souls, is like Solaire is always there <laughs> to uh, to summon. And I was explaining this to somebody the other day of what like what Solaire is and like why. Because so, somebody asked me that they knew the catchphrase "Praise the Sun," but they didn't understand where it came from or why it was a thing. Sure. And I said, "Well, you're in a world of Dark Souls where you're constantly dying, and it's a very gothicy um, world, and you have this one person who is constantly happy up until his storyline starts to take off, and it's just a breath of fresh air." Sure. Yeah. No. Solaire's awesome. Rude Day is ninety three. Mm-hmm. A, a a grateful patron and somebody who's always fun to play Among Us with on Twitter said or on Twitter Discord said Roach the horse from Witcher three. He may glitch on a fence. He may get stuck on a roof, but he always shows up when Geralt whistles. Also, his side mission was the best in the game. Why in the world would you just say Geralt instead of Geralt? I don't know. I always his name's weird. It's For like, shame. It's like Gestalt. Okay. Gestalt. Gestalt. Either way, yeah, Roach Gilbert. is awesome. Uh, I know that you haven't played near as much Witcher 3, but one of the things I really appreciate about this game is that it does work out that way. It doesn't really matter what happens to him, he's going to come. Whereas one of the things I don't like about certain games, some games pull it off well, certain games have it to where, like Red Dead, I think is one of them. Even though I will say the horse in Red Dead is amazing, and I know that one of our people gave that. I want to, I would imagine that. Let's see. Oh, I know it was over on Twitter. Someone mentioned it. Uh, let's see. 
Mr. Pumpkin. He said my horse in Red Dead Redemption 2 and had a gift that said, you're all right, boy. <laughs> but the horse in that game, if I'm recalling correctly, only will come to you if you're so close to it. Like if you actually move, it stays in the world around where you leave it and it won't just come to you. I like the choice in The Witcher to have it be where the horse comes to you based off of just, it does the, I'm going to, you're turning the camera, so I'm going to hide the horse pop in from behind a hill if possible, but if nothing else, behind where you currently have the camera, and he'll run to you. I like that. I think that was also that way in Ghost of Tsushima, where you never quite had to worry about where you left your horse if you just went out exploring. He'd come to you. It works in games like Shadow of the Colossus, though, where I think Wander and Aggro are supposed to kind of be... I don't want to say one and the same, but because Aggro is your only companion in this desolate world, it ends up being that Aggro is like a second main character. So... I feel like aggro needing to be around you for you to, to be able to utilize and work with him. It also gives him a little bit of a feeling that they try to bring back, I think to an extent with um, the last guardian of having an AI companion that is not always exactly what you'd expect. And I like that aggro kind of felt like he had his own personality. So that was cool, but I didn't mind him having to be close to you, but other games where the horse is a little bit more of a tie in again, the Witcher three, I like that. He mentioned that there's a great storyline for him because there is, um, it, it makes me kind of think of like the Avatar show. If you've ever watched Avatar: The Last Airbender, there's uh, it's great when you can pull in cool storylines with that. There's the one where it tells of Bossing Say, where it's uh, Appa's story. Fantastic, really, really good. Some of the best storytelling in that whole show. Let's get another one real quick. Um, I'm going to go to Facebook again. Get one off of there, and we had this one mentioned a couple times, and I'm just going to do this one. Josh Shoop says Elizabeth from Bioshock Infinite. Not only was her character stunning, she was actually very helpful in encounters. If you were running low on health or supplies, she was there to help you out. Her story in the game is also a plus. I would go so far to say that Infinite's DLC Burial at Sea is the best DLC in any game I've played ever. Also, quick pause. Wow. I know we're giving little shout-outs to people. Josh is going through some stuff right now. His grandparent just passed away due to COVID as well. Oh, wow. So thoughts with him as well. Josh, I hope you're working through this. I know this kind of stuff is real hard to deal with. So good luck to you, bud. Good luck, buddy. Uh, yeah, but that's a good answer. Um, I didn't play the DLC for Bioshock because, again, you know, everyone who's listened to this show for some period knows I'm the worst at playing DLCs. Yeah. But in the main story, Me I too. thought she was cool. Me too, to be fair. Have I made you worse? No. <laughs> or, I, I never was like a big DLC person. I like, found it interesting that you played both of the Skyrim ones and mentioned it, which clearly I haven't. The only reason I did that is because I played all the Oblivion ones. Not, uh, Knights of to, the Nine. To be fair, the best storyline in Oblivion Shivering Isles. is Shivering Isles. Yes, yeah, hands down. I did play that DLC, and I would be remiss if I hadn't. I know that some of you are probably yelling right now that there's games... I, I guarantee you, Ryan, if he's listening to this right now, is telling me I need to play the DLCs for The Witcher. I understand this. Just saying. I need to... So, my plan for The Witcher, speaking of that, is to go into the TV show, finish up the TV show, and then get into the game, which I've been told will work well. I think it will. Though, more importantly, if I were you, I'd wait until the next-gen update comes for it. That's... I mean, yeah, because I'm not... Might as well at that point. Yeah, I'm not going to jump into it now. MD on Twitter says, I would say Alex from Half-Life 2. She was a brilliant character and the first of its kind for me. And you know what? That's actually a really good answer. It's been a long time since I played Half-Life 2. Dude, when he sent that, it almost immediately made me want to go back and find a copy of the orange box. I think I might have it still. I need to look. Half-Life 2 is a fantastic 
fantastic game. I know that people love Half-Life 1, and it is a great game. I think Half-Life 2 is what bred the really strong love for that series. Yeah, I do too. It's it's almost like Halo 2, I think. It's very comparable. Yeah, it, it, it's so great. And honestly, the thing I like about Half-Life is... I personally think that the way they set those games up and even their engines and the way they look and run though, they always felt like they were ahead of their time to me. So going back to them now still doesn't feel that dated specifically half-life two. Yeah. Half-life two. Like, I don't know if people know this, but the engine, the, in, the <clears throat> game engine for that game, along with the physics engine has bred. Um, I can't think of what it's called now. Um, the modded thing that you could do on Steam that's Gary's mod. Gary's mod. Yeah. That is like a major thing and that's that's because of how well that gun that game and the gravity gun works and it's just a fun experience. I don't even know what the what is the gravity gun's full name in that game. I don't, is it the Graviton gun or something? I don't remember exactly. That's a game. I never played Half-Life 2 until um, the Orange Box finally came to PS3. So I yeah, probably but, paid that in like what, 2009? Uh, Seth and I both played it. Was it? No, that would be like 2008, right? Or did it come out in 2009? I think that, I think 2009 was when the Orange Box came to console. That's what I first played. Because that was the first time I played Portal as well. And that's another thing. I think Portal uses the exact engine from uh, Half-Life 2 as well. The if Source it, engine. If it does, yeah. If it does, I, I can't remember if it does or not. Um, I mean, clearly really the well. way that Portal plays is very much like Half-Life 2's first-person viewpoint. And yeah. just having your weapon front and center as you go through and play. That's true. One of the weird things about Half-Life 2, though, is always the way that it looked when you were like riding vehicles. If I, if I cannot remember correctly, you don't see your hands whenever you're riding a vehicle, right? You just see the handlebars. Yeah, you just see the, the steering wheel turn or it's whatever It's so it weird. Yeah. There, I mean, it's an old game. It um, is, but that's where it would look a little dated, to be fair. Yeah. <laughs> the asker of the question, Sean1neo, says, I'm a little surprised no one has mentioned these guys. And he shows a picture of Ellie, Sully, and Boy. <laughs> boy. I like Atreus. that all three of those were done on Facebook, which he doesn't. He's not in that group on Facebook because we got Louise Miller, or Lewis Miller. Sorry, but if I'm if I'm mispronouncing anything, um, he says Atreus from God of War. He was the he was only one button, but it made all the bloody difference. So many times being near death and a quick tap on a square a millisecond before being hit with poison from a bloody witch, and she's gone. Saved my ass too often. Kratos letting him know when he's doing uh, know how he's doing and teaching him along the way was a nice touch. Absolutely loved Atreus' little helper. Uh, Ratatoskar to 10 minutes into a Valkyrie fight and the little guy not only saves my ass with some health stones, but he brings me uh, some much needed levity to the situation criticizing Kratos' fightings, uh, fighting. Yeah, you know what? It's funny. I like... You know, they talked about... A lot of people were mentioning The Last of Us when they talked about God of War and the idea of Atreus feeling like something that evolved from Ellie. But you know the big thing I think that makes this so much better is that Ellie you did not have any control over. Nope. It was not set up. I think what makes Atreus such a godsend is that he's competent on his own, but that you can offer that split-second decision to come in midway through and hit square and get him to pull through for what you're needing. Uh, and it makes that AI helper, helper feel more in the world than Ellie. To be fair, PS3 is a problem, but the AI for Ellie was kind of rough for PS3 as well. Well, Ellie, Ellie is one of my favorite ones just because not only... She does the things that most AI companions can do. Like she'll get annoying and she's really, really loud in stealth sections and stuff like that. But then the the story that is built around that is still one of my favorite video game stories mm-hmm. of all time. And that's saying something just based off of the relationship you build with her in game. Sure. And even though she's, well, and I'm not gonna say she's not helpful in gameplay. She certainly is. It's just that that not having direct control 
makes her less than Atreus gameplay. What is great on both of those games is the storyline that's built around them and them constantly being with you through the game is the only is the thing that necessitates that growth. Like, yes, they have a lot of great story moments, but there's also just that feeling of you and Ellie and you and Atreus as the primary characters going through with each other that just them being around and talking to you and having little questions makes them feel more part of the world and has you connect with them so much more. One of the things um, I like, though, and it's also another answer, he talked about uh, Ratatosker, the one that would bring you like the health stones and stuff. One of the things I like about that is that that really makes me think of the Palicos in Monster Hunter World, and that's yeah. also what Donovan Williams mentioned, where one of the greatest things about Palicos is health right when you need it, bringing the little health bugs over. It's great. Palicos are 100% very good. They're part of what I think makes Monster Hunter World so fun, and I think some people didn't like that because it kind of made the game easier. But I would argue that it's not endless. You have to set stuff upright to do that. But also, the Palicos are just one of the great things of Monster Hunter in general. Uh, speaking of Monster Hunter, Ryan says, Saul knows my answer. I really want to say it's Palicos, but I don't know. <laughs> I may have failed Ryan. I, that's When he said that, I 100% thought to myself, I doubt Saul. I wonder if Saul actually knows. I would, if I guessed, it would be his horse or red dead. But if I had a, like an inkling of a thought, it would be his is Palico. Because I, me and him both really love the Palico feature. Yeah. What I like is he says strength in numbers, which I think is supposed to be a hint. So. <laughs> I don't know. Strength in numbers. Ryan? Because you didn't have... I'm trying to think of all the stuff we played, and that was like Division. That was Monster Hunter World. That was Red Dead Online. Grand Theft Auto Online. I know horse. Don't get me wrong. Listen, right now, I'm going to tell you. The horse in Red Dead... I shed a tear at a moment in that game, and that's because not only was my horse great, and all of the little things that you could do to interact with the horse were also great. Uh, I had the same horse throughout the entire game. Very important to me. I get it. The horse in Red Dead is a great answer to this question. I'm going to grab the last one off of Twitter, and it comes from Irish Joe 13 He said, I'd say Boone from Fallout New Vegas. One time I was walking in Freeside, and I believe someone started shooting at me. Didn't know where, and I look around, and the dude's head pops just off because of Boone. And uh, if I'm thinking right, Boone is the guy with the vest thingy on, isn't he? I love that answer. (laughs) Yeah, I'm pretty sure. I love that answer just because it's like the AI in those games tends to fail fairly often, if I'm just being honest. No, he's the one with the beret. Okay. I know who Boone is. I never used Boone. I like that because it's a it's a perfect example of it actually working out. I will say I think the AI in New Vegas is actually a lot better than the AI in three and four. There's um, a lot of things better in New Vegas than there is in three. I agree. I know that's and four. hot takes, but uh, that ain't yeah. a hot take. That's a very common thing. I think people know that New Vegas is the better game. There's a lot of people that disagree. <laughs> I don't see how. I I'm not one of them. I like New Vegas more as well. Uh, you know, we're going to move on from there, but thanks to everybody. we got some more community feedback, so hopefully we'll get to any of you who also happen to reach out in the main topics. And thank section. you for Sean Wanio for the great question. Absolutely. Really appreciate you. Um, so, in this, our main point of this episode is why we have no news. We're not doing anything like that. We're kind of doing a look back at the entire generation from start to where we are now, where I'm not going to say it's necessarily finished, but we're into the next gen now. So we're going to wrap it up and say that this is this generation. There's probably not going to be any other big power moves from either company specifically in relation to these consoles, though. I think the best thing to preface here is that I think the person who gets the most into being able to say that maybe they're still not done with this gen 
in a lot of ways is Xbox because of the way that they're viewing moving forward and still supporting the old things. Of course, we're seeing that still from PlayStation as well right now, but it's different. I don't feel like it's necessarily the same as what Xbox is doing. Um, Xbox has got their hands in a lot of other places with phones and consoles and soon to be, uh, I would imagine at least soon to be different little set top boxes like Apple TV and Roku there. They have the ability to kind of really move. Uh, and right now it doesn't look like Sony's wanting to do that. So Xbox one is a little different, but going into this, I think for me, uh, we're going to get to you guys, but I think we want to naturally kind of talk about things and then come and pull your stuff in to see if we've missed anything, as well as just kind of see where you thought on certain things that we've already discussed. So, Saul, I'm going to throw it in your court right now. Okay. I I don't want to be completely sequential. Okay. But I think there's a lot of room for conversation at the very beginning of this gen because we all know the start of this generation, of of the eighth generation, was wild times. So... Let's say first year, first two years. Let's kind of bottle them into that. Okay. What are some things you loved? Games, features, happenings, bad decisions, smart decisions? So I think in terms of games, you, I think you saw cross-gen for what it really is. And I think that that was an important lesson to me of like Call of Duty Ghost is, is the one that's going to always be the outlier and how it just did not look great. And I think that that taught me that, hey, the next gen's here, even though this is one of those yearly games that, of course, is going to be cross-gen, let's just go ahead and get on our feet and try next-gen games. And that's why I tried Shadowfall. Even though it didn't stick with me, that was the reason I tried it. I was, I, was, I was very curious as to how this game would work. Now, granted, I got my PS4, what, two years into the PS? No, no. I don't think it, I don't think it was two. Well, hold on. When did Bloodborne come out? 2013. 2015. 2015. So it was two years in a lifetime. Um, so I, Not quite, because wasn't Blood Born like February of March. 15? March. So a year and some odd months, because yeah, I think it was it was November of 13. Yeah. So uh, a, a year and a few months. But I think that was another thing, too, involving Bloodborne, is that since we're going to go ahead and just, we, we called it a two-year window or whatever, I think Bloodborne, um, March 24, 2015, um, Bloodborne taught me the lesson is that if I love a series that just because I love the series doesn't mean it can't come forward with me in a different form. And at first I was kind of iffy about Bloodborne because Bloodborne was one of the, the deciding factors for me trying to play Demon Souls or whatever again. And I think that for me it was a lesson learned in that I got so used to the way Dark Souls played and my first four to five hours with Bloodborne, I was kind of like, this wasn't, this was, this game's not that great. You know, like, I don't like this game. It doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel like a Souls game. And it's, it's like, this is what people said it is. This is what is made by the same person. This, I can't believe this is different, but then I stuck with it. And I think that that taught me an important lesson because everybody knows how I feel about Bloodborne. It's absolutely one of my favorite games this generation. well, I stuck with that thought process for other games like Near Automata, where I'm like, you know what? I may not enjoy the first couple hours of this game, but I'm going to stick with it. You know, I'm going to, and I'm glad I did because that's also another one of my favorite games of the generation. It's kind of crazy how that works. Um, so I think it taught, I think that, that the happenstance of that taught me a very important mind frame to be in when playing a brand new game. And it's like, give it a chance. Like, it may not be for me, but I need to at least play it for a couple of hours to get that just for sure, for certain and for sure. Um, 
But other than that, like the beginning of the gen for me was the most boring part of this gen. There's nothing <clears throat> else there for me. I, you know, I think I agree with you. And before I move on with that particular part, I think I want to go back to your idea of patience in general and what that and what Bloodborne taught. I think for a lot of people who either were people coming in who were Souls fans, and like you said, you have that idea going into the game that like Demon Souls and Dark Souls have a lot in common. Yes, and then Demon Souls and Bloodborne have, I think, more in common with each other than. Bloodborne and Dark Souls have in common with each other, actually, would, even though they're both still pretty far from Bloodborne. I would say that that's about a half truth. I would that's say, what I mean, it's, it's, yeah, yeah, it, it's not exact, but I think that there's some things that Bloodborne returned to from Demon Souls that Dark Souls pushed further into, like uh, the Nexus kind of thing, yeah, like the more, Hunter's Dream, yeah, more of kind of like a place that you go back to that acts as a touchstone between everything. More of the idea of not having an Estus Flask and instead getting all your healing naturally, though of course I've added that idea of bringing it to where you're going to be aggressive. You can get some of that health back if you're smart. So, but the importance of like kind of thinking about patience with everything, right? Because I think that's a big a big thing about the generations beginning to to go across the board. PlayStation 4 and Xbox were both very slow to come in. PlayStation eventually caught up, but I think in, in terms of what people wanted, right? I think the thing about PlayStation 4 is that we got two exclusives at launch, and then we got another great exclusive and launch window with Infamous Second Son, but then it was kind of slow. You know, it, it was like it was until 2015 that we really started to see Bloodborne, The Order, Ratchet and Clank, some of the games that a lot of us had known about, but just not there since the game, since the thing had started. So, unlike this gen, where I feel like Sony has done a lot better at setting a roadmap of when things are coming out, we had a big launch with a lot of exclusives. We know things that are coming down the road. We have backwards compatibility to keep us for even games that are coming that aren't quite out like Cyberpunk. But what PS4 and Xbox One both did in terms of patience is kind of how to teach people. Get it up front, get it up front, understand and enjoy what comes with it day one, but then be patient for things to eventually come into what they're going to be. And we know that about every generation. Just because they start one way. I think PS3 was a a lot of that same lesson, right? You're going to get the PS3. It's going to be a little slow. It's going to be expensive. You're going to have to wait until we finally get the footing of what this console is and we get to where we're going. So PlayStation, they had a good idea of what the console was day one, and I think that's why they got a lot of good points in. You know, not doing the DRM thing. Very smart move when Microsoft was trying to do so. Focusing more on games instead of trying to focus too much on entertainment as a whole. Smart move on PlayStation's thing. But even PlayStation had the same thing where they weren't immune to the slow trickle of games. So... Being patient led you to where if you bought a PS4 day one, being patient got to where once 2015 hit, you were rolling and, and exclusive started coming. You yeah. were good to go. The The system found what I think most people remember it for, which is being a hell of an exclusives machine. So many exclusive games this generation from Sony were game of the year winners and very critically acclaimed darlings. That was not really the case in the same way in PS3. There were some, of course, The Last of Us, Uncharted series. There are some, but it wasn't the same to what we've seen this generation. I feel like almost every game that's come from PlayStation this, this generation has sold massively. It's it's received very well. Uh, there are some outliers that did great for the company, like Days Gone, but did not necessarily perform in the same critical reception but across the board that's what the system became and then xbox kind of has a different story you know xbox's patient story is you get it day one and you're constantly wondering where the games are and you want exclusives and for some people 
that's still the case. And Xbox hasn't delivered just yet. For other people, they got the surprise thing of, I didn't know that I wanted my Xbox to become this Game Pass machine where I can play a bunch of these games for one low monthly cost. So patience is a big lesson learned from the beginning of this gen in in general. Patience for backwards compatibility to come in and become a new key component for Xbox. Patience for exclusives to start hitting on PlayStation. And just kind of letting each one of them come into what they are now heading into this next gen. That's a good one. Yeah. That's a good one. Is there any like... So features were a real weird thing. Because I think both consoles had a lot of promised features. Right. But both consoles lacked some of those those promised features. Um, I mean... Or they have the weird thing of getting away from them. So like one example of that from Xbox's side is this clear lean into the Kinect. And we're going to have that and we're going to support it. But then once the Xbox One S came out, the system did not even have the plug for the Kinect. They completely dropped it, removed it from the OS, gone. Pretty interesting. Sony's side, you had features that they promised like the ability to use PS Now to trial games. And we didn't really see that. We didn't see it at all, really. <clears throat> so that's a, that's weird. I think this generation is also taught to be more, which age has too, I think. Of course, yeah. I was younger. But be way more conservative in how much you actually believe what companies say. And I don't mean this in the sense of, I don't think Mark Sony, uh, Mark Cerny or Sony either went into saying those things with the intention of them being false. I think that what happened is that when you're talking about something that's still new, you're kind of doing the rounds of talking about what you hope it can turn into and what you hope happens with it. But that doesn't always happen. That doesn't always pan out that way. And I think that's why Microsoft had to pivot away from the connect because it was weighing them down in a lot of ways, much like PlayStation had to pivot away from PS2 backwards compatibility with PS3. And Microsoft had to also change a lot of what they wanted to do to survive. Backwards compatibility was part of that sudden change in plan, I think. Yeah. So, all right. Well, uh, let's open it up a little bit more. I just think the beginning of the gen was boring. It was boring from the game side. It was fun immediately because of console wars being at probably the biggest fever pitch ever. Ever. Because of the fact that one, like... One that had done so well the previous gen with 360 suddenly falters so hard, and the one that had faltered at the beginning of that previous generation is doing really well, PlayStation. Crazy times. Um, I'd be remiss not to talk about the E3, the mic drop moment, just because as a fan of PlayStation, it is kind of great to have somebody come out on stage and say, "You can." this is how you share games. Yeah, this is how you share games. This There will be no DRM. You know, you can go buy your games from GameStop still. This is what we're doing. And just have say something that shouldn't have been as bold of a statement as it was at that time, but because of the competition, it ended up being like a really bold statement. And I think it really led us down a path where if if gaming across the board would have went that DRM heavy, I don't know where we'd be right now. Yeah, it's kind of weird to think about because it's not necessarily a bad thing for me or you. Because we have all the necessary components to make that work, like like fast internet and stuff like that. But I'd be curious as to what gaming would look like as a whole. Um, it's it's interesting. Uh, I really don't. I really don't know. I, I don't know where we would be. Well, I kind of compare it to the idea of like the problem with this is that you see games follow trends to an extent, and thankfully there's always trend breakers, ones that don't decide to follow. But one of the things that we've seen this generation, might as well already talk about them, games as a service. Yeah. And games as a service have become 
and really, if we want to say it, freemium games as a service have become the go-to market where you are going to make your most money. So if you think about it in that way, where if something happens and the market doesn't buck the trend, which is exactly what happened, see, it'd be different. If Sony had also leaned into DRM, I don't think that there still would have been kickback, but I think since both were doing it, it would have been a little more calm. I think what happened to Xbox is that Xbox was doing it, and then when Sony made it clear they weren't, it was like, ha, see, Sony doesn't agree. We have somebody who's more in our thing, so now we have a champion to back, and that means this other one gets kind of shunned off even more. So I think that that's one of the things that happened there. Um, but, yeah, it's... Hmm. I, I guess I just think that if it would have been that Sony and Microsoft were on the same page, you would have seen it be followed down to where gaming right now would probably not be... you probably have no game sharing. It'd be something that they'd want to cut off even more. The only thing I think may have been a benefit of that is that with more DRM control, I would hope that the benefit that would have come with that would have been more own, like more digital ownership rights than what we currently have. Because one of the great things about still having it to where you can play disc and play games and whatnot without having to rebuy codes and reauthorize the game and stuff like there was trying to be in that time period is that you can still let people borrow games. You can still game share and whatnot. But you don't really own your game. You, you can't just say, if digitally, you can't just say, I want to let my friend borrow my code. Instead, you have to trust your friend enough to go, I'm going to give you my login, and I'm going to let you log in and play my game. But that's it. Yeah. And that's a lot less comfortable than just saying, I'm going to d- digitally set my right to go to him and transfer to him for two weeks. And at the end of that two-week period, it automatically reverts back to me. I think that that will be something that will be solved this gen. I really hope so. Or just the ability to outright say, I will never play this digital game again. My buddy really loves it and wants to play it all the time. I'm going to give it to him and just let him outright own that license. I I definitely think that one will be. Um, I definitely think game sharing and game trading will be. Just because of the amount of sheer people that that went digital this gen, the numbers are there to prove it. It's ridiculous amounts of people. And honestly, for me, that's another thing. Like Kind of leaving away from early gen, going more into mid um, to end of the gen, is that like... that. Going all digital has taught me of some conveniences that PlayStation offers that I love, like being at work and being able to download a PS4 game from my phone to the console. Like that's something, and I know it's ready when I get home. That's something that, that that's honestly that's that's one of the biggest mind blowing and revolutionary things that I think you could do with current gen consoles. For as simple as it is, like I think you could do kind of the same stuff with like Steam, and I think you could do it with Xbox too. But just how seamless it works um, and just that being a feature in general in this generation is crazy to me. And seeing the way that some people have gone digital too has been kind of an eye-opener. And for me, I always compare it to like PC gaming. Is that there's the, the, the base for PC gaming is not niche anymore. It is massive. And um, it's one of those things that like they all do it. And... When when I realized that, yeah, like my disk drive breaking isn't exactly the worst thing in the world because I can just download everything. And now that I have everything downloaded, I'm not trading in games that I don't think I won't play anymore. Um, I am waiting for sales more common than not because it seems that a lot of Sony first party games after the first two to three months are out or forty dollars on sale, if not cheaper. Um, it just it kind of it kind of changed the entire buying process and mental process for me when it comes to getting games on launch and i think honestly like demon souls is going to be probably or not demon souls but uh, 
Godfall, Demon Souls, any launch game that's out right now, plus any that have come out, I think those are going to wait a little longer to go on price cuts. But it's it's not hard to see that God of War, Horizon, The Last of Us, um, actually The Last of Us Part Two hasn't had a price drop yet, but. Detroit, these are all games that are fantastic that have had major price cuts in the first three months that they're out um, or price drops on sale. Yeah, and I wouldn't say full price drops, but I mean, no. to, to go towards your point anyway, all of those games within a year of being released are down to typically $20. Yeah, and that's that to me is Which like... Which is good. Yeah, it, it, it allows me to not feel pressured to own the game because I know that I'll get it for a better value than at launch and if it's something i don't particularly love uh, then it's it's one of those things of like hey you know i i, I only spent 35 on it instead of 60 like i, I got half off yeah it, it does give you that buffer of saying like i don't know about it right now so i can get it at a later date when i know i'm going to be playing it and then if i don't like it it's less of an investment i think it it caters to being a patient gamer in a way that I think is a little more personally natural than Game Pass, which I think has the all. Has, and again, I don't know that's necessarily a bad thing, but one of the things that you do see some people say, I don't necessarily know across the board, but you see that sentiment that I'm going to wait for this to go to Game Pass. I've seen people say it. Yeah. Now, how much that is of the actual Xbox community and not just. Twitter being crazy probably a low Twitter number. is crazy a low low number I would imagine I so too but I think of those two options because Nintendo's nowhere even in the ballpark of either of those things Nintendo are just we're going to be keeping our game at $60 for the entire generation for some reason um, but I do like that because games pass game passes is, is a little I think less natural in my opinion of wait for it to go to where I don't have to pay any more money for it only because right now we still don't know how sustainable it is. And even Microsoft are saying that it seemingly is sustainable, but right now they're still currently not making money on it. Okay, that's fine. Uh, but I like the idea of I'm going to come to it at a later date, and worst case scenario, if I don't like it, I only spent X amount of money, and I don't feel so bad. Yeah. Again, in an ideal situation, I would love the ability for you to get a game 100% say, not the game for me, and even I though I only spent $20 to it digitally. I would love to be able to go, you know who I think would like this though? My buddy, Brett, I'm going to shoot this over to him and just let him own this. And I think that's coming. Like, I, I really do. hope so. I just, my only thing about that is how much does the move towards a game pass thing? Like it could happen on Sony side and I hope so. But I think the need for it across the whole board is somewhat lessened to an extent as we go more and more towards streaming because one of the things we have right now is Amazon is another perfect example of you can't send people movies that you own. And actually, we've had problems of Amazon completely deleting movies that someone's bought and paid for from their library for some reason. It's oh, happened weird. to multiple people for different movies. Sometimes it's because the rights get pulled. and then, But that's, I don't like that. Thankfully, you don't see that in gaming. Often. Not yet. Thankfully. I mean, gaming. Well, technically, you've seen it with one. Not a game that you had to pay for. But PT was... Exactly. That's that. yeah. That's a weird. That's a weird thing, though. Yeah. And that's one thing versus outlier. The, that's that's yeah. Big outlier. You just too. had multiple people have done it with movies and stuff like that. We've seen that happen maybe three or four times on console. Or like I don't know if I've ever seen a game's rights be completely pulled besides PT. I don't know. There might be some like Hot Wheels racing games or something that we don't know. So of. where you can't re-download it because like you know licensed games are the ones that always have this happen where you can't buy them anymore from the digital store because the license is expired. Which is that's hey. 
unfortunate, but that's also where digital rights would be a great thing. Yeah. If you can go, hey, maybe you can't buy Amazing Spider-Man 2 anymore, but I'm going to send you my copy or loan you my copy or yeah, whatever. That, um, that'd work perfectly just, fine. Just for preservation of gaming. That's yeah. what it is to me. Uh, but more importantly than that, those are the only games that get pulled from the store often. But even when they get pulled from the store, you can still go download them from your history. Whereas PT, you can't unless you do some weird workaround. And it's not... You know, you're not supposed to be able to do it. So, right. But it, it, it's a big thing. I guess, you know, if we, if some of this episode, I think, will be things that we hope this gen kind of ends up bringing about. No, that's a whole other episode. Whole other episode. <laughs> yeah. Hold on. You're spoiling my plans. That's like oh. the, that's the episode after the game of the year episode. Oh, sorry. What we aspire next generation to be. Okay. Calm down. <laughs> I got a system here. I, I'll follow your system. I'm sorry. Um, so, one thing that we haven't talked about yet which I think is clearly a big deal in terms of how it's impacted gaming and how it has, it's impacted gaming. It's not fully in gaming still, but I think for a lot of people, including myself, the fact that it came as quickly as it did, the surprise crossplay. Yeah. That's a, a very positive thing. It's, it, it, we nonchalantly just mentioned earlier, like how crossplay for destiny two would be so great earlier, like without even skipping a beat on it. Yeah. But um, we're still in that half point where, Crossplay is a viable thing. It's out, and a lot of games have it. A lot of games still don't have it. I still, I, I, I am one of those that say that say that every game is a service that ever will launch. So like Fortnite, Anthem, any Call of Duty, whatever like that, that should all be crossplay. I think it, so too. I think it literally benefits everyone yeah. because it, it's just one of those things that like, I mean, Call of Duty's done it. You can find a Call of Duty game with crossplay enabled in like two seconds. Yeah, and the same goes for like. Uh, or the same would go for Anthem. Oh, it's so, that idea of preservation again, right? Speaking of which, um, on the Anthem subreddit, somebody posted a screenshot the other day. It's all-time concurrent people that have been playing online uh, over the past 30 days with 70 people on Anthem on PC. That's wild, because didn't you look the other day and it was I like a million people? I did, but I don't remember what that million was for. I wonder if its console is doing better than PC on that game. It could be, yeah. I don't know. That's a good question. Um, but, you know... I think what you're talking about, we've seen crossplay, and I think this is why it surprised me, right? During the PS3 and 360 generation, where I think PlayStation and Microsoft were really button heads over who was going to be the king of gaming, and I, I actually kind of appreciate that this generation, like you've mentioned, the three have kind of went different ways to where Nintendo has been doing its own thing for so long it that it doesn't games. even matter. Yeah. So whatever, they're doing their own thing. Xbox and PlayStation, it was always about who was going to be the king, and those were the two that have been buttonheads for a long time. But I think Microsoft has really bowed out of the race for the most part at this point and said, that's not what we're focused on. We're focused on gaming even when it's not on our platforms. And that's a good thing because I think it stops some of these brash moves. Like, crossplay could have been a thing last generation. There were multiple times where PlayStation and Xbox were asked about bringing games to their system, and the reasoning behind why they couldn't ended up being this idea of, at the time, PlayStation, who was not doing too hot, were receptive to the idea and saying, yeah, we would if Microsoft would, and then when it would come to Microsoft, Microsoft would do exactly what PlayStation and their strong point did as well. Why do we need that? We have more people. Our system is more known for online gaming anyway. Why would we want to give you some of our player base when it's just a reason to get people to buy our system? We saw that last generation. RuneScape was potentially supposed to have the thought, like they were talking about, maybe bringing it to consoles. But if they did, it had to be 100% cross-play between PC and everything. Yeah. 
Microsoft wouldn't do it. So all I'm saying is that clearly that kind of competition is great in a lot of ways because it leads other things to push up, but it's bad because it does do things like that for games that need it. What's the point of bringing RuneScape to console if I can't play with my buddy who's on PC or if I can't play with my buddy who's on Xbox? Because those games are all about, like you said, games as a service. Those are all about just playing with everybody. And ultimately, if you wanted to argue to me that you didn't need crossplay on something like Demons or Dark Souls 3, rather, fine. Whatever. I'm not as worried about that as I am a game that's entire existence is about being online. Yeah. A game like Apex or a game like Fortnite or anthem or destiny these are games that you want to survive as long as possible and the best way to do that if the game stopped being supported themselves which we see happen we see games that stop being supported gain a cult following and then continue to be played demon souls is actually a really great example of that it is you can still play demon souls online thanks to people having their own server up that's cool uh well of course you can play it now on ps5 because there's new servers but yeah point being I like that basic idea, and there's a great thing about preservation for stuff like that. So say somebody loves Anthem just the way it's always been, and Anthem gets the service shut down by uh, BioWare. At least have it to where other people can go through and either play with each other through crossplay, or maybe there's more of a reason to keep it up if BioWare keeps the servers up and says, well, there's you know across all the systems, there's 7,000 people playing. It's worth keeping it up for now. Right. It's a great thing for that, and I, I also agree. I was not, I, I, as I've said, this is not me flopping. If Sony was never going to do it, I didn't think they had to do it. Am I glad that they did it? Ultimately, yes. I think it's a boon for them. It's a boon for a lot of games, even if they do it in a more controlled sense, which it seems like we still haven't gotten a clear answer as to where it's, whether it's going to be more controlled. Call of Duty being completely open is kind of hard because it could be proof that they're going to be completely open with it or just the biggest games are they're going to let go through. But either way, I'm glad it happened, even though Sony, from a pure business decision, didn't have to do it. And I I wish, just out of sheer curiosity, I wish I could have seen exactly what did happen in these last two years since it started being a big deal. If Sony had 100% said, no, we're not doing it because it's not good business for us. What would that landscape look like? Would PS5 be as hyped as it is? Would it would it have had no discernible effect? I don't know. Yeah, that's and kinda- I'm curious because the internet was hot on it. You have this idea of like, well, this it seemed like a lot of people were being vocal about it, but how many people were really being vocal about it? It's a good question. Curious. All right, um, let's lead into some community stuff. Oh yeah, let's go ahead. So, <clears throat> just like community take, we asked you guys for your thoughts on. All kinds of stuff that happened in this generation. Favorite things, not so favorite things. And a couple of you guys responded, and I love some of the answers on Twitter over here. Um, Kyle Grimm, he says, if anything, I think this past generation made it clear to me that I'm PlayStation. I've always had every console come out all over the years. Played most of my games on Xbox 360, and then once when PlayStation 4 came out, all of their titles, I was hooked and never looked back. And while I'm not like this myself, I think this is a good correlation that shows you that like you could be anything like you could be a fan of any console and then all of a sudden a company just do it well enough and you flip yeah that's why i am here technically even though i have an xbox and a pc and i used to, i've had four switches in my life so or three whatever it was <laughs> Good Lord. and now you have none that's the most ironic part of that entire discussion I, have, um, I, I can't find them <laughs> 
Um, yeah, I think Saul's story on that in particular is a real thing because um, I've always had as many systems as I can get. I've traded around. At one point in time, I traded a PS2 for a GameCube for a little period of time. I had a 64 when I was a kid. Um, my dad had his own PlayStation, and we had a 64. Yeah, I did not care for the 64, and I found myself often wanting to play my dad's PlayStation 1, but it was his and he was playing it, so I couldn't. So the first opportunity someone gave me of trading a, the PS1 for a Nintendo 64, hopped all over it. You mean trading a 64 for a PS1? Whatever, yeah. Yeah. I'll, Either way, we got a different systems. So I am, I've always bounced around, but PlayStation has always been the one that I've preferred the most. And much like Saul, I typically have all of them. But I think if I, you know, thinking back to Saul and even myself to an extent, even though I had Xbox 360s, I would say that in our teen years, Saul and I were both very advent for the for the consoles that we were behind. Saul was very 360, and I was very PlayStation 3. And to the extent where I think we would both go out of our way to defend those companies within reason. But age, experience with the other consoles later into that generation, I think brought both of us down a lot. Yeah, uh, I know that by the time the, the generation ended... Halo 4 was a fantastic game to me. I really loved it. Minecraft being on play, on the Xbox first and me getting one to play that, great. I had some good experiences on there. So if, as far as I'm concerned, ultimately, the 360 was a good console, even if it didn't have an, as much as what I wanted. Whereas earlier in the gen, you know, talking to me in ninth or 10th grade, I'd be telling you how I didn't like Xbox at all, which I'd, I'd experienced one then. At least it wasn't coming from nothing. Right. But... There's benefits to that, and I like to hear him. It's just you find one that you really know you like, and then you stick with it. And as much as I try to be across the board, I've mentioned it a million times. I like my One X. I think it's a great console. It's a technical marvel. It's super slim and sleek and quiet. I never play it. It's unfortunate. I'm glad I have it for the few times I want to play it, but I don't play it. That's kind of my thing is I don't play it often, but whenever I'm glad I have it whenever that exactly. opportunity arises. But like he says, it's I know what I'm all in on. doesn't mean I won't play the other one, but PlayStation scratches the itch so often that I don't find myself wanting to go anywhere else. I, I'm not sitting there going, you know what I wish I had? doesn't mean that there's not things I want to change. Certainly there can be, and there's some things Xbox does that I do prefer. But across the board, they're never strong enough to make me go, I just really want this so bad that I'm going to go play, play uh, Xbox right now. It just doesn't happen, and that's fine. You know what hasn't left my mouth out of, uh, in like six years? I want to play Gears of War. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a long time since I said that sentence. That, um, that sentence left my mouth only once because co-op in Gears of War is fun. It is. I'll give it that. Gears of War 2's co-op campaign, fantastic. Jehudi MD says his favorite things. Awesome games throughout the gen. What he expected to see and didn't happen is the account company change. Country a, change. Account co- Oh, yeah, you're right. Country change a la Microsoft and Apple. Surprised me. Never thought of playing a game along the lines of Soulsborns and loving it. Bloodborne is what he's talking about. He messaged me earlier while I was playing Demons, and he said, how, you know, how is Demon's Souls in comparison to Bloodborne? I would say it's, it's, it's a lot easier. Oh, the Demon Souls is easier. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It depends oh, on yeah. why you find D. De- it depends on why you find Dark Souls hard if you've played them. If it's because of how slow they are, Demon Souls is just as slow as every other Souls game. But in a lot of ways, like I've mentioned, 
there are things about Bloodborne and demons that I think are more similar in the way that the game structures it. You honestly get a lot more healing opportunities in both Bloodborne and Demon Souls because there's no relying on a flask. Demon Souls, though, you get so many uh, grass drops. So many. Yeah, you, that's what I'm saying. You're never really longing to heal. Even if you do something that's risky, like purposely running out on the Dragon Bridge to get one of the items that's left behind by the destruction. You have so much grass. You're going to, to get hit. Yeah. As long as you can survive that initial hit, you can get some great items and then heal yourself. And you're not really, it's a lot like Bloodborne. Even when you feel like maybe you're not good and you're still coming to grips with it, you have that opportunity to go, I'm going to go run this thing over and over again and farm some grass because you get it often enough. Whereas Dark Souls, more adherence to the flask system ends up making it to where you're, you're a little more slave to the flask which means you need to be a little more careful if you know you're not very good. You need to pull back and draw back. There's a little more room for risk in, in demons. Um, but also I think that the general idea of the way that they approach their things, like we've talked about Bloodborne and demons have a lot in common. So, But yeah. I do hope that you play it, Jehudi, and uh, he's one of our patrons. Thank you, man. And I also hope that you enjoy it. Not only do you play it. I'm going to let you get the next one real quick so we can I could take a very short leave of absence. <laughs> Very short leave of absence. Okay. Well, hey, at least you're uh, at least you're not going AWOL. Going off the wall. <laughs> I'm going to go grab one that I think is really interesting. And I know that Saul's not as big into this, so it works out. Liam, one of our longtime listeners, he says, you know, I'll mention the lack of trophy sorting. They know people care about this, but couldn't any of the updates at least include an alphabetical sort option? Vita, on the other hand, has it and progress sorting. And I do like that. It does seem like PS5 and the app are doing a lot of things to make these things better. But, hey, Kyrie. <laughs> Sorry, daughter just quickly interrupted. But, um, you know, I think there's a lot of stuff going on with trophies that's doing better. I like that right now, Liam, that the app shows you when you go to the Platinum what game it came out of. One of the things I noticed often when sharing a screenshot of it was what game is that for? And I thought that was weird once I started looking at it. Now you see that. There does seem to be more thought going to the trophy, trophy tracking being a thing. Moving forward, it's a great thing. I like it. Having trophies be on the hot bar on PS5, it just shows to me that they're thinking more about trophies. Restructuring the trophy levels, also a good thing. So maybe that means that PS5 will have more of this. I'm going to, now that you've mentioned it, I'm going to go check what PS5 naturally has because one of the great things about Vita, and I did it on PS3 and PS4 early days for sure, I'd sometimes just check my trophies there because it was quicker and easier to figure out what you had, what you didn't have. Trophy sorting is something that really does need to come. Another one I'll mention real quick that I think had a big impact on this generation, and I do want to hear Saul's thoughts on it when he gets back. He says, don't know if this counts as it was cross-gen, but I really enjoyed the Nemesis system in Shadow of Mordor, one of the few games I platinumed twice. Good on you, man. Good on you. Uh, the Nemesis system has been a great thing, I think, for this generation. And by extension, I also want to say something that came to prominence last gen, but I think really has come more and more into this gen, is the uh, the free-flow combat system idea that you kind of originated with Batman. It's not to say we didn't see it on PS3 games. We certainly did, but a lot of high-profile games brought that to play this generation. Uh Shadow of Mordor, Shadow of War, Batman, Spider-Man, all being examples of that. Also, things like the Mad Max game that came from um, WB. Yeah, so those are good things. But yeah, the, the Nemesis system is really cool. I was a little interested in seeing that as much, excuse me, as I loved it, 
I didn't see as many companies come to use it, which is a good and a bad thing equally. I'm glad that people didn't just like it and decide to slap it into games that don't need it and don't really call for it. But at the same time, I wish I would have seen more companies working within the idea of the Nemesis system just so the system grows more. The more people that you can get to work within a single idea, the more that idea can evolve and you can actually get some really great results out of it. The Nemesis system is great. I honestly can't think of another game off the top of my head that did actually ended up using it, um, sadly. So I'm going to look real quick at just curiosity, but I think it honestly is just those two. I don't think that any of the other ones kind of really put it. Let's see. It looks like a couple of indie games have got it. This is one talking about a, an indie game. I think it was called Star Renegade, something like that. So, hey, something is trying to kind of pull it forward and use it, but... Hopefully we see it return to more AAA games and hopefully more indie games and AA games end up utilizing it. It's a great idea. There's no reason not for it to come back. Even something as simple for long for elongating gameplay in a very natural sense. I would have loved a recent game example. I would have loved for Maneater to have that, but when you face a boss or you kill a higher enemy thing, it can come back and you'll recognize it and it'll have scars based off of how you killed it before. It would have just been a cool option to see more games come into. Um, Saul's going to miss that one, apparently, but that's okay. Uh, let's see. I'm going to go pull one off of Facebook real quick. So I noticed for a lot of people, and this is, I think, very indicative of PlayStation and why they seem to have won this gen in a lot of people's hearts, just more than anything due to time, is that idea of backing games as the most important thing so early. I noticed that one of the first things when I'm talking about the entire generation, most people just talked about video games. So in a big thing here, I think it goes to show that while features and UI and all that stuff are important to people at the end of the day, when you think back about an entire generation and what was important to you, the games themselves are the thing that speak to you the most. So in this, uh, Blake Pope's, my buddy who's uh, one of my co-hosts over on Midweek Matinee, our movie podcast that we do every week. Go check that out if you haven't. He says, Red Dead Redemption 2 is my fave. I'm surprised that I fell so hard for Dark Souls as the previous gen made me think it was a series I hated. There's not really much that I hated. If there was something I didn't like, I just didn't play it and didn't care. Again, games at the forefront of the mind. So it's not that they're doing anything wrong. All the listeners are just kind of responding off of their thing. But it goes to really show... Another one is Michael Potter Schneider. He says Dark Souls, Titanfall 2, Apex Legends, Horizon, and Untitled Goose Games. So, uh, Goose Game. Again, such a push towards the gaming side of things. And I decided just out of curiosity to see what people would bring whenever I offered a perspective switch. I decided to kind of comment just off a, pers- off a, per- <laughs> a perspective switch. Were there any features that surprised you alongside games? Any that you hoped to see but didn't? Um, so, like I said, it's, it, it's real interesting that most people are just kind of immediately looking towards the games. And that's a big thing of why I think PlayStation has won this gen. I think it's a big thing as to why people are so hyped to go into PlayStation 5. But I will say Microsoft has gained some of that back with Game Pass because Game Pass is inherently about the games. And it pulls away from Microsoft seeming like they're not about the game. That's true. Because without we said it before, the game, the console can have great features. It can be really, really powerful. But without first-party exclusives to drive it, it really doesn't have anything. Now, or even even third party games. I mean, at the end of the day, a, a lot of these games I see mentioned are third party: Dark Souls, Titanfall, Apex Legends, Untitled Goose Game, Red Dead Redemption Two. 
I mean, a lot of these games are multi-plat, but at the same time, in looking at this, a lot of them, there are exclusives that are peppered in here. Horizon, we see Horizon on here. We see God of War mentioned on here. So, it's interesting. But you uh, you have the Game Pass thing, and that, I think, is what is they're starting to aim for. And that's why this gen, another weird part about this gen is how grown apart Microsoft and PlayStation have become. And we mentioned this kind of earlier with Nintendo. Gr- I, f- I truly feel like this is the last gen you will be able to compare Microsoft and PlayStation. I-, I feel like Xbox is taking their own route with software and game streaming to become a thing on anywhere you go with any device. And PlayStation is, you know, they're staying to streaming on PC and your uh, some phones. Like, I think you, you can't do it on iPhone yet. Or you, I think, I think you can, you can, you can remote play on any phone. I'm fairly positive. I, I want to say remote play was taken off of iPhone for some reason for a brief time. It may not be, it may be gone now, but I thought I remember reading that. Somebody correct me if I'm wrong. But I think that they, I think this generation is going to be really, really important looking forward because you have these, the stakes, and the stakes are really high. You have both last gen consoles having a very weird kind of experience with one of them failing almost like 80% of the time, and then one of them trailing a lead at the very end. And then, you had the DRM stuff happen, which led into the beginning of this gen, which that DRM stuff didn't go anywhere in a way. Like it didn't do anything for this gen. It kind of just made the general reception of Microsoft's bad. Now Microsoft has gotten better in graces with a lot of people. And I think that they have won back their footing into this, into this kind of console wars as much like I, I, I kind of hate console wars, but I think it's, important for a competition and for the consumers for one of them to win because i certainly don't want sony to have a monopoly over gaming uh console gaming yeah in the sense that you know people people say they do because if they do then they start calling the shots and some of those shots getting called you may not agree with but that's kind of neither here nor there i you know one before we go too far on it uh-huh. one thing i do find interesting going into next gen overall is that I, I, I agree with your basic sentiment where I do think we're starting to see them drift more and more apart. But the real interesting thing about it is that while we see no evidence that Sony has any real reason to want to do this, right? Sony has, and for a long time now, has had both of the things that I think Microsoft are leaning on heavily in their thing. Like Microsoft is leaning more on gaming off of their system. Sony has had streaming games on other systems, it's, it's interesting. At one point in time, PS Now was available on a ton of things before they started to cut that list. It used to be on TVs, phones, and everything. Now it's only on PC and console. I don't know exactly what led them to that decision, but it did. But clearly they could still go back towards phones if they wanted to. Right. They have the tech there, just like Microsoft has their tech for game streaming. Then, thinking about PS Now on the other side of it, PS Now has been going towards this idea of adding games. It's not the same as game pass but now game pass being streaming and games make ps now and game pass very comparable services so depending on how much sony really wants to lean into those services they've had long running we could actually see them go in a similar direction i just don't see any reason to believe that they will currently because sony seems content to follow their path which i like works better for my preferences but technically, they have everything they need to lean in the same direction Microsoft is, should they choose to do so. Should they choose it. And I'm not entirely sure they will. Um, yeah. But we'll see, I guess. And I think that's what this next generation is, the most exciting aspect about it is and how kind of different these companies are growing in their own ways. But 
how that will affect gaming on consoles because Nintendo doesn't care. They're going to keep doing their weird stuff that works for them. Sony and Microsoft, like I've said this before, when you had console wars, GameCube was the last part of it when the PS2 and Xbox was out. Nobody compared the Wii to the PS4. Nobody compared the Wii U to the PS4. Nobody did. And if you did, I don't know why, because it didn't work. If they, you compared the Wii to the PS4, as Salt just said, which I think he meant PS3, but if you compared the Wii to the, the PS4, then the, wow. The Wii, yeah, it's a PS3. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, it didn't work. And now I'm just curious because... I said this before, is that Microsoft touts the most powerful console. I'm curious what they're going to tout next-gen, because it won't be that. I guarantee it. I guarantee you they're not going to tout that next-gen. But we have 10 years to, to find out. So, as 10? A, you know how long these console gens are. 8, 10, 6, same difference. We're, we're 6 on this one. 6. Well, well we're 7. Not to, really. November 2013? November 2020? Yeah, I guess. Seven. Yeah, no, no, right. no, I guess. That's 7. But no, it's, 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 You're right. To what, I'm saying, I guess. To wind Clearly, down, my math was wrong. To wind down, I have the community's take in my mind. Well, I don't want to go off completely. There's, well, a, there's a couple things we didn't do, so just making sure that we're on the same page there. Okay. I guess to follow through with a couple things, because we didn't talk a lot about features, and I do want to get to the couple that people really talked about here. Um, also, while before I get into that, I didn't mention that I 100% thought PlayStation Home was going to come back this generation no, no, when didn't. they announced VR. No, you didn't. Did not Nobody happen. thought that. Oh, no. I 100 As soon as, the ER, as they showed VR, I was like, here it is. This is where you bring PS Home back. Nobody. Because a lot of what PS Home was about was bringing people together in a space and then letting them kind of do stuff together. You could watch movies together in PS Home. I was like, this is surely what they'll do here. And do you know what happened with that idea? VR chat stole it. VR chats did steal it. And were wildly successful with it. And that's why, again, VR chats being so popular, I was just thinking it's a, it's a matter of time before Sony brings PS Home back no. because we see it being successful elsewhere. The closest I think that PSVR got to that was this game where you essentially walked around in a bar and played games within the bar. So you could do like, I'm going to play a game of pool with this guy over here. We're just all walk, hanging out in the same area. It wasn't nearly to the level that Home was, though. That's a shame. This sounds mean, and I don't mean it this way, but I think it's true for the most part. If you see one company doing something to great success that Sony can do, they won't. <laughs> Look at the Nintendo Switch. Sony, where's the new handheld? Where's the PS Vita 2 at? Where is it? Yep. It's nowhere to be found. I think it's because they know the Switch is dominating in Japanese and Chinese markets where most of their, their customers come from when it comes to handhelds. You like, I remember somebody pointed out... <clears throat> When the PS Vita, not when it first came out, but like within a couple of years of it being out, somebody said if you go onto a, ja- a Japan subtrain, you will not see. It's so rare you'll see somebody not holding one that's under the age of thirty. It's like if you're thirty years or younger and you and and you're Japanese on the subway, you have a PS Vita in your hand. Whereas that's all taken over by switches now, which is yeah. which is crazy. Which, but, like we talked about last episode, is that idea of it does seem like Sony is seeding. Which, of course, it's because they chose to ever enter the handheld race and did a good job with the first one, the PSP, and even in Japan did a good job with the Vita. It does feel like now that you've entered that market and home market's dying there, by not releasing another handheld, you're kind of ceding Japan to Nintendo. Yeah, I mean, that's that. I said that when Hollow Knight became a thing. I said, yeah. I said, I told everybody, I was like, Hollow Knight launching on switch first took Sony's handheld place for all these weird niche games 
that at the time were only on PC that would come to like some Japanese cons or to to Japanese to the Japanese continent, which doesn't make sense, but you know the East. <laughs> they'd come to the East and then it'd eventually come to none other than the Vita. The Switch is taking that spot, yeah. guaranteed now. Like that's been proven. Yeah, for the for the, for. Not the most part, but for I've got to shout out Vita for even still exist, like still having games come out. I can't. It goes to show how much people love it, and I think it's the biggest reason as to why I can't believe that Sony is not willing to try it again. If you have people still pushing games out on a system that you have declared dead for more than five years ago, what? Yeah, Vita <laughs> Island is a strong island. Just there's no planes to get those people off of that island. Yeah, it's uh, it's. We need to transition from Vita Island to whatever the follow-up handheld is. <laughs> but that's a thing that's that's another what will happen this gen. Yeah, no, it's not. We, we'll see. No, it's not. When we when we saw the success of the Switch, we are like, oh, this might make Sony make one. We never have. No. It's just not going to work. Uh, so going back, uh, one of the ones was, and this is kind of reiterates what I was talking about before. Donovan Williams over on Facebook says, the fantastic games, totally, totally unimaginable on PS3. Not so favorite trend of releasing unfinished games and bad business practices in regards to microtransactions. So this actually goes into what I think the community state could be. Um, and it is what is your least favorite happening from this gen? Okay. He says, etc. I expected more exclusives. And this is actually a really good one because I understand it. I expected more exclusives that weren't third person action adventure thing that surprised me the most is how deep I fell into Destiny 1 and how great it was. I hope PS5 can measure up, and I hope both console companies work their bugs issues out soon. Um, to tie into that a little bit, right? Over in the Discord, Rude Cold, one of our patrons, he says, Games as a service I would happily see disappear. And this is where it gets interesting. Because I think Destiny has always been the early days of games as a service, which is the earliest thing realistically is just long running MMOs. Those have been games as a service as long as that idea really has made sense. Console wise, Destiny was kind of consoles getting more into it after we didn't see much happen in the console MMO sphere throughout the 360 gen and PS3 gen. So Destiny coming back in, this is what I find interesting. He says, I spent so much time in Destiny, but grew very tired of the grind and loot mechanics that when Destiny 2 came out, I was totally, totally burnt out and couldn't play it. Recently played Avengers and really did not like the games as a service style multiplayer for it, like we were talking about that couple of episodes ago. Really wish they had spent more time and money developing a better and more polished single player. And part of the reason I bring that up is that Destiny has gotten brought up so many times throughout this. And it's a, another one, Shafe Dog, one of our patrons. He says, he says a bunch of stuff, and I'm going to get to his top part because it's a very interesting one. But in relation to Destiny, he says, I'll also add that at the start of this gen, Destiny came along and I loved it. 3,500 hours and didn't slow down. Destiny 2 launched and I expected the same, but about 2,000 hours in and the season fear of missing out model has killed the game for me. Don't know if Bungie will ever earn back my time. And this kind of comes into the big thing of games as a service did become the big model for this gen, as we mentioned earlier. But clearly, as these things evolve, you can reach this point to where this is where the idea of moving free to play actually creates some issues. Destiny 1, I think, had a lot of people because you always paid for the content, but it always came in at at a, at a chunks that made sense. Destiny 2, when it lost me, 
And this is why I like these answers so much. When it really lost me is when season started coming. It felt like it was suffocating me. I had to constantly be playing the game. Otherwise, I was missing out. But I had other stuff I wanted to play, and I can't dedicate playing multiple hours every week to Destiny 2 to be able to keep up with everything. So instead of just playing here and there when I want to, I just completely quit playing. And because of that, I'm in that same mindset as you where I don't want to play Destiny 2 anymore. Like I don't see me going back to it because they're not changing their model. And I'm glad for the people that like that model. That's awesome. But personally, that model has completely dropped me. And I think that the irony there is that what I find so enticing about Warframe is not only is it entirely free, but I think that the way that Warframe does big drops is a little more in line with the way that Destiny used to do big drops. And since you don't have that constant seasonal thing going on, and Destiny's doing a lot of changes right now to where you can only use a gun for so long, one of the cool things about Destiny used to be this idea of going away for a little while, coming back, and still having a big arsenal of weapons to play with. Maybe the, maybe the weapons have been nerfed here and there, but now Destiny goes, those guns are basically useless. You can't play with them. you got to constantly be playing so that you constantly have guns and exotics. Actually, I like that about Destiny. And, and see, and I get some people will, but for me personally, it it demands that I play it too much, and there's no game that I just want to play that much. So, just so you know, I didn't even know this till New or Beyond Light came out. There's now a kiosk. You remember on Destiny One, you had like an exotic kiosk in the tower that you could look at all your exotics, and couldn't you recraft them? You can recraft masterworked. Like if you say you missed out on Wendigo, the yeah. grenade launcher, you didn't want to do that quest, you can just go buy it. Oh, that's cool. So. I if like, Wendigo is still being used. It is. Because that's, that's kind of the problem, though. A lot of weapons have been sunset, right? Right. Well, that, and that's just an example. But the thing yeah. is, it's like there are PvP weapons in there that people want. Yeah. And there's exotics in there. Did you ever finish up the Forges and get Izanagi's Burden? Nope. Nope. You can go buy it now. Oh, that, that's cool. Every raid exotic, At too. least for that idea of fear of missing out, right? It's a way to bring it back. Well, and but I, guns being sunset still end up being an overall problem because, and it been wrong, it's a mix. I see the benefits of it because it forces you to change up what you've been using. But I think you can do that by introducing new weapons that are actually enticing for people to want to get and then balancing old weapons to where even if you loved it, it gets to a point where you can still use it, but you're really going to be at a disadvantage. So if if it's that you feel so comfortable with the gun that you think that the buff and nerf disadvantages that come with it, you can still overcome because of your your familiarity with the gun. Continue to use it. That's fine. See, I look at it as Magic the Gathering. And for those that don't know, there are three sets. Or actually, I don't know what it is now. I've played in a while. It's it's something. It's, it's actually why I don't play Yu-Gi-Oh! or Magic either. It's, it's it's something completely different now. But it's it's like a core set and three other, four other sets. Yeah. But it's essentially like if you start playing, you may come in when the last set's out. And then when, for standard. And that you may have four months. And then that set will rotate out. And then so you, you have all these cards that you could use in other formats, but you can't use in standard, which is the standard format. See, and, that's at least the saving grace there, right? Is that there is a format to adopt for people who still want to play with what they have PvP. and utilize it. <laughs> that's not like, it's not your format, but PvP. See, but I guess what I'd say is that because Magic the Gathering is naturally a PvP game, it ends up working that way. I would really love for Destiny to have a mode of whatever it be. And I understand it's not really a tenable position to be in. But I would love for Destiny to have a position where all the guns that I really liked and liked using and whatnot, I could go into. But you're essentially asking people to keep up in a very different way than a card game. You're asking people to keep up two different versions of a game on servers and everything that has to come with that. Whereas when you release the cards, the cards are in people's hands. At that point, it's just, here's a rule set that 
necessitates how you want to play with the card you already have. Right. Here, we're releasing new cards, and this is a new format. We're going to keep doing that. A game really can't do that, and I guess that's the shame, because where I started kind of losing out on on Yu-Gi-Oh! was when it started coming out with stuff more often than it had been. So it started being that every three to six months, a new set would come a, out. A, something completely different would change, and the rule sets completely changed. And it got to the point where... For me personally, spending hours upon hours upon hours building the perfect deck and then playtesting it until I know it's perfect and then feeling like it, even though right now it's currently in league, the moment that this happens, it's not. See, I personally don't love that because I know that it's made to keep you a lifelong person. I, I don't know. It's, it's, a, it's not that it's a problem. It's just a preference in me that makes nostalgia overpower wanting too much to deal with new stuff. And see, for me, it's the exact opposite where the hours and hours and hours of building something is, is the, the fun. fun part. So it is fun for me. What I like is I like but not it, throwing it away. Well, yeah, but I mean, even then though, it's like for me, I love finding out new builds every season sure. in destiny and then getting the components for those builds and then playing those builds. Mm-hmm. And then even if I get bored of it next season comes around, if something gets sunset, I just, I, I no matter what, I don't go back to old builds. I'll find a new build. And yeah. it's, that's the fun part of like, Looking at your artifact to see what mod do you get, and then looking at your character and your new subclasses, and like, okay, what can I do with this, and kind of thing. That's where the fun comes from. Me, I like crafting stuff, and that's what I liked about Magic was I liked building the deck. Yeah, bring back Birthing Pod. But uh, anyways, off, I'm just in the middle thing. on that particular. That's all it is. Is I like the crafting across all the board of that. I just don't like to have to throw my craft away. Essentially, yeah. that's what gets me. And since in the game it's permanent, like a deck, I can keep a deck even if it's not no longer active. We can all come together and agree. Uh, we're going to play this game this way. Can't well, really and do that in Destiny. To be fair, like one thing that is criticism on Destiny Two, and we'll get off Destiny Two. But one thing about Destiny Two that is is critiqued is that for all the stuff they took off, because like all your normal legendary gear is gone. Like mm-hmm. it's like all your normal weapons are gone, gone. Like they're gone. They did not add. In, they did not add that same amount back. Sure. Sure. So there's a discrepancy there. Two more I'm going to touch on quickly because I do think they're very quick, but I think they're both interesting because one I think is very different from you. Shafe Dog, his top part was, my favorite thing this gen has been the introduction of PSVR. My not-so-favorite thing is spending so much on VR games experiences. I expected to see a successor to the Move controllers because they're desperately needed. Yes, they are. My biggest surprise is how much I do not like playing flat games outside of VR now. It's really changed gaming for me. Flat games? He means non 3D VR game. Playing on a flat screen, when you really get into the VR thing, I just like that because I do like PSVR and I really, I'm with you. I think it's a little too expensive sometimes in the experiences. But ultimately, when it's working well and when I don't feel like I'm having to fight it, it's awesome. And if we could get new controllers that don't have controller drift and all these other problems that come with it, I could see myself spending way more time in VR. Yeah, it just needs to become more accessible. But I like that. And then the other one is Mr. Awesome Dave 1337. He says, This is the generation that really got me back into console gaming. I spent much of the mid 2000s and early 2010s PC gaming. I spent like 2004 until 2011 playing MMOs primarily. I played a bit on PS3, but when I got my ps4 i got hooked back in bloodboard being the game that truly led to my rediscovery of the console and my current favorite genre i played the hell out of bloodborne and dark souls 3 and whenever i look back at this generation my mind automatically goes to bloodborne my game of the generation game of the decade and easily top five of all time which to me a lot says a lot since i've been playing video games now for over 30 years i like the idea 
just because it's a different thing. I've never really moved off of of, of console gaming. It has always been my primary. So I find it more comfortable. I always have a PC that's capable to PC game because I think it's cool. But I like the idea that it's really the games that bring you back, and it kind of comes back to this real idea here that ultimately, what you talked about earlier, exclusives are where the bread and butter is at. If yeah. Bloodborne did not exist, and I'm telling you right now, Bloodborne would not exist had it not be for Sony going and saying, listen, we messed up by not keeping the rights to Demon Souls for publishing in North America, even though we own the IP. We messed up on passing on the sequel that you wanted to do due to those sales. We're going to come back, give you a handful of money. You make the game you want to make. We don't interfere. This is it. We pay for this game 100%. You don't have to pitch or anything. Sony went to them and asked them for that. There's a reason that Bloodborne exists, and there's a reason that those type of exclusives exist. That's it's just true. How it is. I mean, that's a perfect example of why that's important. Yeah, and I think it's a big reason as to why I'm really personally excited to see Microsoft's studio acquisitions. I'm not mad about the Bethesda one. I just think it's so weird that ultimately what we kind of talk about here, I'm glad they had a long-running partnership with each other. One of the things I like about Sony's acquisitions is they tend to be studios that they've worked so closely with that most people think they're already purchased anyway. I know so many people that thought Sony owned Insomniac before they ever actually did. I did. See? A lot of people. Because name the Insomniac games that weren't on PlayStation. Sunset Overdrive? Is there Fuse. another one? What is that? Uh, it may not have been called Fuse by the time it came out. I can't remember. But it was a EA game. It was when they first started talking about it. But every other Insomniac game, even throughout this gen, has been on PlayStation. So... I like that with Bluepoint. Right now, there's rumors whirling about that Bluepoint is going to be purchased by Sony. A lot of people think Bluepoint's already purchased by Sony because 90% of their body of work has been remasters and remakes for Sony. Shadow of the Colossus. It makes way more sense to get a company that you've only been working with and have been doing stuff exclusively with you to be purchased. I think that makes a lot more sense. Whereas Microsoft's purchase of Bethesda makes sense from a business perspective. It ha- it reeks of that Tomb Raider thing, though, where it's a system, it's a game that's always been multi-platform, and suddenly you're like, you can only play it on us. Who did the port for Shadow Colossus to PS3? Bluepoint. I thought so. Yeah, they did, so the, they did, Shadow they, they did the remasters of Ico and Shadow of the Colossus. Yes, yeah. they did. Absolutely, they did. Um, <laughs> so those are it. Um, for you, what was your community's take again? So we'll, we'll go over our community, or our answer in the next episode, so we can leave you guys with a cliffhanger. But I want to know... What is your single most hated aspect of this last generation? It or could disliked be, if you just don't hate things. Yeah, dislike. Uh, something you just disliked until you hated it. <laughs> um, it could be anything. It could be Sony's last E3 conference. It could be um, games as a service. It could be any one entity, but it has to be the one you hate or dislike the most. Hey, rip P- PSX, by the way. Yeah. Rip PSX. Yeah, rip PSX. Can't believe we didn't talk about conventions. I guess we're in this year. This There's not. I mean, yeah, this year it's kind of like <laughs> we've. I think we've done enough of that. Out of sight, out of mind. Um, but, but rip PSX. If you're wondering where you can find the community stake, you can either hop in our Discord, which is in the description down below. You can follow us on Twitter over at twitter.com/slash/triangle_sqrd, or you can find our Facebook group, which is Triangle Squared at PlayStation Podcast, and. If you want to hear more of our lovely voices and even see our faces, you can catch us on YouTube every Monday at 10 a.m. Pacific noon central time, as well as all podcast services across the world. And a special shout out to people 
that have been following us for a really, really long time. Now we love you all, and we are happy to see you here and interact with you daily, like Ryan and Sean One Neo. Everybody, I don't want to leave anybody out, so I didn't really want to name people. But there's so many, there's so many people that have been on with us on this journey, and it's been such a fun time. And we're closing in at the end of the the PlayStation generation for the PlayStation Four, and we're going to be here strong and in charge for the PlayStation Five. And I am super excited to be there. I hope you guys are too. And um, we couldn't be, we wouldn't be here without you guys. A special thank you to all of our patrons too, who interact with us daily, like. Kyle Grimm, Shafe Dog, everybody. Once again, I didn't want to name names because if I, <laughs> I don't want to leave people out because nobody's left out in this. But yeah. once again, I wanted to thank everybody. And also, real quick, thanks for being cool about sponsors. Yeah, thanks for being cool about sponsors. Like I wanted to like that's why like I said earlier, I bought the cologne with my own money. I wanted to make sure this sponsor was right for us, and I feel like it is. So um I'm I'm I really hope you enjoy their products and and I actually invite you all like on, you know, Twitter, Facebook and Discord all the, on on YouTube comments. If you buy these products or if you've had experience with them, let us know how you liked them because I'm curious to hear how your experiences go. And uh I guess that's it. The last thank you will be of course Brett Brett reading Patreon, but I'll give a, a secondary thank you to Manscaped for sponsoring us and seeing, you know, two guys who have made almost 200 episodes of a PlayStation podcast and give them hope and optimistic about something like this yeah. because this is a first step in a long, long amount of steps to be able to bring you guys this kind of show full time. That'd be fantastic. And it would be. So thank you to Manscaped. Thank you to anybody who uses manscaped.com and uses the discount code SQRD for squared. Yep. And thank you to all the patrons. Brett. Without further ado, thanks to our patrons. Rich, I haven't forgotten you. I need to put you on the visual card thing, but you're our newest patron. Thank you, sir. We got Kyle Grimm, Josh Jarrell, Matthew Green. My name is Dan. Luke Bartolomeo, Sean Santarude, Funk Turkey, Danny Villiobos, Corey Hickerson, Blake Popst, Kevin Bacon Bits, Joshua Excuse me, Lago, Eric McAllister, Shadowist, Stephen Salazar, The Stonard, Travis Blow, Stefan Swanland, Constantly Kenny, Solitary Red, Chris Figs, Zachary Sawyer, Landis, Rude Days 93, Brian, Donovan Williams, William Digital Spooker, Derek Porter, Josh Ayers, Brandon Edwards, Sean One Neo, Tyler Powers, El Chabib, Jason Clendenning, Tyler B., and last but certainly not least, Mr. Richard Schaefer. Head over to patreon.com slash nartech to support the show. Thanks.